Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. Hello, everyone. It's another week of Georgia Tech football jackets travel to Chapel Hill, North Carolina for their first November game of 2018. I'm Wiley Ballard, thrilled to have you along with us on this episode of From the Flats. So we're now joined by our first guest, Jonathan Alexander of the News and Observer, the North Carolina football beat writer. Jonathan, it's a pleasure to have you with us here this week. Well, thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. No question about it. I know it's your first year on the North Carolina beat. Uh, you're coming from the Duke basketball beat, so a slightly different uh, side of the fence, I guess, in Tobacco Road. But uh, let's sure. start with this. Uh, North Carolina off to a 1-6 and six start in 2018. There's not a whole lot of ways you can spin that positively, but opposing coaches, I'm sure, will come in, just like we had Paul Johnson this week, saying, hey, that 1-6 and six record is deceptive. Dabo Sweeney said this same thing about Louisville this week, saying they're much better than their record. So my question to you is, as as not an opposing coach, as a beat writer, is this 1-6 record truly deceptive? And if so, why has it not led to more wins? They probably should be 3-4 and four right now. Uh, on October 13th, they played Virginia Tech. They led Virginia Tech by seven points uh, with about five minutes left, and they fumbled at the goal line. Virginia Tech recovered the ball at the two-yard line, and in about five minutes, they took it downfield and won on the game-winning drive. That was a game that they should have won. Then they go to Syracuse the following week, had a chance to go up by 10 points with about five minutes left, missed a field goal. UNC had another chance on third down to ice the game, failed to convert the third down. So they should have won that game as well. Those were two games against some pretty good opponents that they could have won. But the biggest reason why they struggled and the reason why they aren't as good is because they struggle um, at the quarterback position. They don't have a quarterback who can go win them games. Can you give us a little more details on, on the quarterback struggles? Obviously, you've had Chase Fortin, uh, who is injured, uh, Chaz Surratt, who Tech fans saw last year here at the Flats, injured, and now Nathan Elliott under center. What has that group been unable to accomplish thus far? You know, Nathan Elliott... It's more of the game manager type. He's not really great at throwing the ball downfield. Um, most of his passes are behind the line of scrimmage, and they allow uh, their playmakers to go out and make plays. And if he makes a mistake, which he has made mistakes in, in previous games, UNC really struggles. When you have those quarterback struggles, as you've mentioned, what does that mean for the running game? Because we've seen both Antonio Williams and Michael Carter with some explosive performances. Williams, a couple hundred-yard games. Michael Carter was all-world against Virginia Tech. Have they continued to try and get them involved? Because it seems like that might be where you try to go with the offense, given the quarterback struggles. Yeah, well, I've been kind of surprised at at why they don't continue to, to pound the ball. And I know against Virginia they weren't really good on first downs and they'd get two yards, and then UNC would throw the pass. Antonio Williams and Michael Carter are really talented players, and when they get going, UNC is at its best. What you saw in last game was just they didn't have any early success on the first down, and they decided to go with uh, the pass. 
Well, let's discuss one of USC's strengths, and that's their pass rush, and specifically Malik Carney, who's been a beast up front for them. Uh, why does he have such a big year statistically? I think he's just really talented. Um, he shows spurts of that last year, five and a half sacks. And then through four games now, he has five and a half sacks again, and I think seven and a half tackles for losses. Really athletic. He can get past. He's strong. He can get. He's really fast off the edge, and he can get past off lower offensive lineman. Well, Jonathan, thanks for the time. And uh, if there are some Tech fans who want to follow more of the North Carolina perspective, uh, where can they find your work? Uh, they can find me on Twitter uh, at J-O-N-M Alexander, or they can go on newsobserver.com um, and uh, look under the UNC section. Well, sounds good, Jonathan. Thanks for the time. I look forward to seeing you this Saturday, a 12-15 kickoff between Georgia Tech and North Carolina. When we come back, we're going to visit with a Yellow Jacket letter winner who had an awfully big game against the Tar Heels a few years ago. This is the Front of the Class Podcast. Roddy in motion. Here's Washington. This is a counter with Orwin Smith cutting it free. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. North midfield, 40. Orwin Smith looking for the cut. Doesn't need it. 15, 10, 5. They get it again. 95 yards for Orwin Smith on an A-back counter. And we're now joined by one of our former letter winners, Orwin Smith, a Yellow Jacket from 2009 to 2012, Phoenix City, Alabama's very own. And uh, Orwin, we're thrilled to have you. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, obviously, a lot of Tech fans remember some of your uh, great moments, uh, putting up 700 total yards of offense as a team against Kansas in 2011. Uh, breaking the bowl losing streak as a senior in 2012, catching the game-clinching touchdown against Southern California. But what are you up to now since playing your last game for Georgia Tech in the Sun Bowl in 2012? When I was there, I was one of the you know one of the guys that I took internships seriously. Um, I actually did two of them while you know my time at Tech. And that was something that I just knew I needed to do in order to kind of get a leg up. Right when I came out, I, I you know I was chasing my dream to be an NFL player um, that, that lasted about a good year, a year and some change. Um, I spent the 2012 slash 13 kind of bouncing. Um, I did finish off with the Packers going into 14 and I was released during the summer of 14. Um, after that, I had a couple calls um, with the Vikings and Seahawks didn't really pan out like I thought it would. Um, and after that, I, I just decided to move home because um, it was cheaper living and um, it was still, you know, relatively close to Atlanta. And um, from there, I've just been, you know, working, started off working with the government for a while. Didn't really enjoy the pay, but it was a nice job. And I did that for about a good year or two. And I decided to go into the finance world. And I will say, you know, Tech did, Tech did prepare me uh, quite well. Once I graduated, it wasn't it wasn't too tough for me to start getting calls from potential employers. Well, let's take a look back at yeah, your playing career. I don't think a lot of folks know this. In fact, I had to refresh my memory. I'd forgotten this tidbit, but you are the ACC record holder uh, in yards per carry, uh, minimum 1,000 career rushing yards, averaging 9.3 yards per carry. Why were you so explosive and effective as a member of uh, the triple option offense? I had this mentality that I knew I would only get the ball on average 
maybe three or four times a game. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in my mind, it was home run or nothing. So whenever I got my hands on a ball, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking six and that, and that was, you know, easy, easy for me to always know, you know, not take anything for granted. You know, the, the option is so many hands are touching the ball. So, you know, like when I get it, I have to try to score. It, it wasn't try to get the first down or maybe just get the catch. No, it was I need to try to score no matter where we on the field when the ball is in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Against Kansas, you had 265 yards on just seven total touches. What was that game like, putting up a school record 768 yards of total offense in 2011? Man, that was a great game. Um, we just from the the first play, of course, you know uh, that that ninety five yarder. Uh, that was that, that's a game I never forget. And it's funny I tell people when I think about that run, the way it opened up is exactly how it opened up at practice. But you know, at practice you're kind of just going through, you know, just going through the plays. You're kind of just jogging around and just kind of you know working on the blocking technique, but. It's amazing how it looked exactly how it was at practice. And I had to tell myself <laughs> when it opened up, like, okay, this counts. This is real. So, you know, I need to, I need to not get caught. Well, Oren, what are, what are some of your favorite anecdotes or, or memories from playing? Not even necessarily about a game or a result in particular, but, but a favorite funny story, something that comes up every time you get together with your teammates nowadays. Well, this, this has happened on several occasions, but, um, of course, fans, people watching the game wouldn't know, but, you know, as a, you know, at a time, there's two A-backs on the field, and, and you know, of course, there's a blocking A-back, and then you have the guy that's going in motion. Well, me and Robbie Guy, how we used to, we used to be out there laughing a lot, because sometimes, you know, as, as much as you love to run the ball, sometimes you're just tired. And so, uh, so, <laughs> me and, me and Robbie used to joke from time to time where if, if I knew it was a play where I'm just, I mean, I'm just exhausted, I would, I would tell, you know, the quarterback to play and I would hurry up and run to the blocking side so I wouldn't have to go in motion. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we would be out there laughing our tails off. I would run, tell, you know, tell Tevin to play real quick and, I'm, and I would sprint to the side that I have to block because especially if it's a play where we know the ball is going to either the quarterback or the, the, the fullback on the dive, I'm not trying to be that guy to go in motion because, cause, you know, I mean, it's it's tiring. You know, you're not, you know, you're not getting the ball and um, you'd rather be the, the, the play side or the guy, the A-back that's blocking. And so we would do that time to time to each other, just, you know, just kind of have fun to keep the energy up. But man, it was like, okay, you got me that time. I'm, I'm going to get you back. <laughs> well, Orwin, what can you tell me about that day in Chapel Hill? 68 to 50. At the time, it was a, a conference record for most points in a game. Believe it or not, Syracuse and Pittsburgh broke it a couple of years ago in a 76 to 61 game. Mm -hmm. But that had to be one of the most bizarre experiences as a football player, seeing that game 68 to 50. It was. And it's, 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 it's one of those games where it's exciting, but at the same time, it's kind of nerve-wracking because you know when when both teams are, are hitting and clicking like that you, you just you just don't know how the outcome is going to play out the offense is clicking on both sides and you know we're looking at each other like we're going to see who's going who's going to give in 
or you know let's let's see how many points we can put up and you know every, and then you know th- those are those are games where you know a lot of people get to touch the ball you know a lot of people get to score and you know smiles on a lot of people's faces you know and that's and that's what I enjoyed the most about that game. So it's Orwin Smith, Yellow Jacket letter winner, 2009 and 2012. When we come back, we'll hear from Sean Bedford and Andy Demetra as you break down the Georgia Tech-North Carolina matchup. We'll see if the Jackets can hang another 68 points on them like they did in 2012. Now third and eight, ball resting left side, hash in midfield. A slot right in Searcy, one receiver to the boundary in Stewart. A straight drop by Oliver. Steps up, twists out of a tackle, tries to break away to his right, breaks a tackle, he's at the 40, 50, down the right sideline, 45, 40, he's got the first down. Oh, and Justin Fuente is furious. There were two opportunities in the backfield for the Hokies to bring Oliver down, but he wiggled out of both of them and got to the field side for the first down. And that was the key third down conversion that catapulted Georgia Tech to a touchdown on their opening drive last Thursday night in Blacksburg. And the offense never slowed down, led by Tobias Oliver. We're now joined by the men who witnessed the display from high atop Lane Stadium, Andy Demetra and Sean Bedford. And our first order of business before we get into the X's and O's, guys, is how delicious was that win at Lane Stadium on Thursday night, 49-28 over the Hokies? Oh, it was great. And as a former offensive lineman, there's nothing more fun than watching them just overpower a defense. And I think that's exactly what we saw. There's something even more special about a win in convincing fashion where you don't have to complete a pass. So seeing it all done on the ground, I thought was, was just an incredible amount of fun. And, you know, anytime you can go into an environment like Lane Stadium and silence the crowd, that's a football player's dream. And while Virginia Tech, guys, is not quite as vaunted on defense as they have been in years past under Bud Foster, as Paul Joseph pointed out on a radio show Monday, this was also a Hokies defense that hadn't allowed more than 21 points in an ACC game prior to Thursday. So for Georgia Tech to impose its will physically, sit on the ball, and really leech the belief out of that Virginia Tech sideline at Lane Stadium, no less, uh, that was really impressive. You know, coming off of that losing streak on the road and having shed that albatross in Louisville, it's one thing to have confidence knowing you can do it. It's a different kind of confidence altogether knowing you have done it. And I think the confidence that Georgia Tech is bringing into Chapel Hill this Saturday is different from the confidence that Paul has said they always had, they never lacked for, uh, earlier in the year when they were going to, say, Tampa and Pittsburgh. Now though that they've done it, that they can play with confidence and play in a way that they can impose their will on the home team, I think that's going to be really important for their psyche as we go to Saturday. Well, and Andy, one other thing I'd like to point out in that, too, it's not just a matter of imposing your will. It's a matter of breaking the will of the opponent, and that's something I think we saw last week where Virginia Tech, very clearly at the end of that game, had no interest in being out there on the field. They had just been beaten up, up and down the field, and the way that Tech just kind of combined their efforts on offense and defense, offensively just pushing the ball down the field, and defensively not allowing Virginia Tech to get any momentum, I thought that was really meaningful and is going to work wonders uh, for the Jackets' confidence moving forward. And one of the key guys when it comes to breaking the will of his opponent is a guy in Parker Braun who's made a name for that. But I want to talk about a couple other guys in the offensive line, perhaps lesser-known commodities entering the 2018 season. And that'd be Zach Quinney and Connor Hansen, who made their first career starts earlier this year, and now they're regulars in the rotation and have started a few games in a row. What do you make of their play so far? I've been really impressed with the way they've come on, and Connor Hansen in particular has really impressed me 
or especially in that Virginia Tech game, with his leverage. And I think both of these guys are, you know, kind of bigger guys. Connor Hansen, six foot two, three hundred and ten pounds. Oftentimes, when you get those three hundred plus pounders, they have a difficult time really playing down. You know, as we like to say, six inches off the ground, playing really low. But he's got a mean streak in him, and he fires out so low to the ground that he's just looking to to maul somebody right off the line. And Zach Quinney, I think, too, given his height, it's 6'6", 276. He's not maybe what you might look at and think of as, as sort of a uh, conventional offensive lineman or an offensive tackle because he's not quite as heavy. But when you're a big guy like that, a big tall guy like that, it can be really difficult to get down low. I've been very impressed with his ability to get to the second level, to get past the defensive line, and to do uh, really everything he's been asked to do so far this season. I remember talking with Parker Braun before we taped an interview for the Georgia Tech Football Report last month, guys, and asked him about Connor Hansen. He was nearby Parker's locker room, uh, locker stall. And Parker said last year, even as a freshman, he could tell that Connor Hansen was going to be an anchor at guard in the years to come because of just his technique and because he liked hitting people. And I think that physicality is something that has really impressed me with Connor. He, he hasn't been by any means playing perfect, and Paul Johnson would probably be the first to tell you, but there's no substitute for a guy who likes to take it to the other man on the opposite side of the line. And Connor Hansen has certainly shown that, and that has me really excited to see what kind of a guard he can grow into like Parker Braun has on the other side. And you can't teach that. That's what's so special about that is you can, you can teach technique, you can't teach that mentality. And I think Connor Hansen has demonstrated that, that he wants to come out and hit people. The other thing I really like about him is his build. He's very wide, and he's able to just create lanes by driving um, any sort of defensive tackle who gets in his way backwards. Um, so I think that combination really allows the B-back to find space behind him, and I think he is going to be an anchor on this line for years to come. That's got to be awfully exciting for Tech fans as well, knowing that both Zach Quinney and Connor Hansen, underclassmen, of course, Parker Braun and Kenny Cooper, only juniors, they'll be back next year, but certainly bright futures for Zach and Connor. On the other side of this matchup, guys, 12-15 kick in Chapel Hill, you've got UNC, whose record uh, speaks for itself. Uh, they're 1-6 to this point with a game canceled due to weather. But as Coach Johnson pointed out to you, Andy, on Monday, UNC is one of those three teams that was not able to score more than 21 points against Virginia Tech, and they've struggled to score all year long, whether it be the turnovers at minus eight through seven games, or the red zone offense, which is scoring touchdowns at just 50%. Why do you guys think this UNC offense has struggled so much? And what is most concerning about them if you're Georgia Tech trying to defend it? Well, I'll start with the second half of that. I think what's most concerning is the accuracy of Nathan Elliott when he has time to sit in the pocket and deliver. He's a guy who can really distribute the ball well across the field. He's got some dynamic playmakers. There's a lot of talent on this team. It just hasn't really... Uh, come together and, and formed a coherent offense up to this point. And it's got to be frustrating for UNC fans because you see games like that Virginia Tech game where Michael Carter looked almost unstoppable from the running back position. But that, that running presence just hasn't been there throughout the season. So for whatever reason, things just haven't seemed to be clicking with them. And that's surprising because running back was considered a position of depth for the Tar Heels entering the season. I think they've also suffered from having some flux in their starters and who they can play week in and week out because of the suspensions they had to dole out at the beginning of the season. But you're right, Nathan Elliott is a guy who, if he has time to sit in the pocket uh, with that offense and the kind of tempo that they like to force upon defenses, he can be very accurate and get things rolling very quickly. And they do have athletes. Daz Newsom is one. Anthony Ratliff-William is another. 
Uh, Michael Carter, he was a guy who looked like an all-ACC back in that Virginia Tech game. And the truth of the matter is, guys, yes, North Carolina's 1-6. Well, they should have beaten Syracuse on the road. Syracuse now a top-25 team. They led in the fourth quarter of that game. They should have beaten Virginia Tech. They had an opportunity to put that game away, and Carter fumbled at the goal line. Virginia Tech went down on the ensuing drive and scored the game-winning touchdown in the waning seconds. They've been snake-bitten. This is only their third home game of the entire season. They're hungry and wounded, wanting a win desperately. And so this is an opportunity I'm sure they are looking to seize. And Georgia Tech has to be ready for that. Uh, you have to make sure that you can tackle one-on-one -on -one because of the way they flare out their running backs and have them as receiving threats in this offense. Just because North Carolina is 1-6 doesn't mean that from a personnel standpoint, a scheme standpoint, they don't present a lot of challenges to Georgia Tech. Andy, Sean, if nothing else, uh, we will be ready for it. Having pregame coverage begin at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. I uh, hope you'll join us 12-15 kick up in Chapel Hill. Guys, uh, one more regular season road game outside of the state of Georgia. Let's see if we can finish it with a win. Yeah, let's keep this momentum rolling. I'm excited to see what the Jackets can do on Saturday. Yeah, let's make it three in a row on the road and then head back to Bobby Dodd Stadium a win away from bowl eligibility. That sounds like a good plan. Well, that'll do it for us, guys. Thanks for your time. and. Uh, Fans, hope you lock into Georgia Tech, North Carolina, 12-15 kick on Saturday afternoon at Keenan Stadium. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for live coverage, and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.